0: Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Knox's live stream. We're so glad to have you here. My name is Phil Reinders, Senior Minister at Knox, in case we haven't met, and it is a delight to have you as part of this live stream. Now, this morning, I'm wearing this cardigan uh, pretty intentionally, and not because it's a really cold, gray, dreary day outside. What I'm trying to do is trying to put off as much of a Mr. Rogers vibe as possible this morning. You know, that warm, comforting, neighborly feeling that Mr. Rogers gives off that, you know, everything is going to be all right. Mr. Rogers, he would even, you know, deal with pretty difficult things. But it felt like it was all wrapped in this warm, loving embrace. And I'm doing that because James chapter 4 is a really hard word. I mean, James is just In your face. And so I hope the Mr. Rogers vibe might communicate that this comes in the context of God's warm embrace and love. But really, you know what, we need the Holy Spirit for that. So would you join me in prayer? Father in heaven, we are grateful that your kindness sometimes even has a tougher side to it. And yet, it is still an expression of your warm love and embrace. And so, as we reflect on, as we receive these words of James, would you speak very tenderly to our souls their truth, and may they come alive in our lives in ways that please you. In your name we pray. Amen. So the book of James, which we have been walking through for the past couple of weeks, it is an eminently practical book. Pretty much, there is a command every other verse, which means James is telling us to do a lot of different things. It is practical. It is about everyday life. It's written, interestingly, by the little brother of Jesus. Now, think about that. James, the little brother of Jesus, James, who was the recipient of all the sorts of Jesus hand-me-downs, right? James spent his life living into the clothes of Jesus, which I think is a fascinating image for this book, because I think that's exactly what James is doing. He's saying, listen, church. You are clothed in the presence and the life of Jesus Christ. Now grow up into those Christ clothes. Become fully mature. Live up to this reality of Jesus in you. That's what James is doing here. Getting us to grow into these Christ clothes. He's teaching us wisdom. Jesus is the wisdom of the world. He is God's wisdom. The very wisdom of God. So how does that wisdom play out in everyday life, how James is trying to grow a church that embodies the wisdom of Jesus in everyday life. I can't think of a more desperately needed thing in our world at this time than that wisdom, because we are a world that seems Filled with folly and foolishness. We are a world right now that that feels so filled with tensions. We We tend to clash over everything, don't we? We clash over what we value about, what makes us glad, what makes us mad. We clash about how to navigate this global pandemic we're in. We clash about who's right, who's wrong, who we should despise, who we should hold up. It's not even like, you know... I can disagree with you, but it's almost the state is like, if I disagree with you, you are morally beyond the pale. It's a crazy world, a crazy time. They're angry times, it feels like. The disdain people show for one another, it's just appalling. I I don't know what's in the water, but something's in the water that is driving us to these antagonisms that we deal with. It's almost this sense of, I need to attack someone so I can feel a sense of wholeness in myself. And in many places, it feels like Christians are drinking that same water. Every time, you know, a government announces a policy or every time there's a COVID containment strategy, I don't know, Christians are on either side, on social media, just sort of blasting at one another. And then when controversial questions come to the church... Christians can be so quick to anger and judgment. And if you think, you know, I'm talking about those other Christians. I'm not. I'm talking about you. I'm talking about me. How are we getting caught up in this antagonisms that fill our culture, the foolishness that we see all around us? How is it that we've failed our calling as peacemakers? How is it that we have not become a people that model reconciliation and renewal in the face of so much polarization in the world? You know what James calls all of that? He calls it friendship with the world. We've chosen to be friends with the ways of the world instead of aligning ourselves with God's kingdom of peace. And James, you know, he minces no words here at all. He says, don't you know that to be friends with the world means being enemies with God? So anyone who wants to be friends with the world is setting themselves up as an enemy to God. Now, what does James mean when he talks about the world? You know, is James saying, well, I can't be friends with anyone who's not Christian? Not at all. Not a bit of it, right? It doesn't mean we can't be friends with our neighbors or our co-workers. Um, of course not. We're called to be in this world, to be a, the dynamic presence of Jesus in this world. The world throughout the Bible, it's it's this term that refers to a world that's opposed to God in its actions, in its attitudes. World is is the way of the world. Believes the way that the world acts, the underlying story that people tell and live out of the things that people draw, dream of and drive them to do certain things, all those in opposition to the ways of God. That's the world. And James is reminding us here that it's so easy to just go with the flow of the world. If, and if we're not actively discerning and reflecting on what we're doing, we're just picking up the habits of mind and body from the world around us, the chances are we're becoming friends with the world. You know, if we are just tuned into and begin to echo what's being broadcast on TV or social media feeds, we're just echoing the ways of the world. It's just the normal way most people are living. And we get comfortable with it. And then we find ourselves sitting down with the ways of the world. And then we've made friends with the ways of the world. And this is a problem, James says, because the wisdom of the world is antagonism. It's alienation. It's not the way of peace. Just before this, in chapter 3, that last section of chapter 3 really is connected to this chapter 4. James says this, If you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, don't boast about it or deny the truth of it. Such, quote, wisdom does not come down from heaven, he says, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. Whew! James pulls out the big guns here, doesn't he? Come on, demonic, selfishness. It's not just earthly. It's not just unspiritual. He's laying it out. It's demonic. Who would have thought that that turn of the heart could be labeled demonic? But it's the cause, James says, of conflicts and fights. Now remember, James is digging for the roots of bad blood and hostility in the world, for all the breakdown of community. And his immediate answer for that, it's just straight up, straight on. His response, don't they come from the desires that battle within you? You desire, but you don't have, so you kill. You want, but you can't get what you want, so you quarrel and you fight. It's desires within you. Now, at first read, you might think, seems a little simplistic, right? I mean, try that over at the Monk School of Global Affairs and Public Policy. Uh, You know, all the geopolitical conflicts that we're facing, you know, in Ethiopia and Syria right now, it's selfish desires that's at the root. I don't know how that might fly. But James is pretty insistent, nonetheless, on it. I think James would say, trace every conflict, no matter how big or how small, trace it back all the way. Keep going back. Keep digging underneath. And what you'll find underneath, right there, is selfish desire. James is doing spiritual surgery here, and he's cutting to the heart of the cancers of the world. And they're often small. They're often hidden things. Remember last week, Pastor Nick talked about the power of words and the power of the tongue. Such a small little thing, and yet it can incite so much harm. And similarly here, James is looking at all the conflicts, all the fights, all the hostilities that we face, and he's digging underneath and uncovering more. And then he gets to the small, the hidden source, a selfish desire tucked away in some corner of our heart. There it is, he says. That's it. James is saying those resentments, those envies, those selfish desires, those inclinations to seek out my pleasure regardless of others, he says those aren't just private little secrets we all harbor. No, no, no. He says those are as the most public thing and have caused every act of war we've ever had. What, co- what causes conflicts and wars? you want something. The Greek word there for want, it's, it's a word called hedone, and we get our word hedonism from it. And what James is saying is here, it's a, a desire just to please yourself. You want to please yourself. Your comfort, your convenience, your control, they are more important. They're a higher priority than anyone else's. Your needs, more important than the people around you. You're only concerned with your pleasure, with whatever you think is your fun, That's what James is uncovering here. The spiritual root of these hostilities and conflicts is that we are set on pleasing ourselves. It's putting our comfort, my convenience, my pleasure, my fun ahead of that of others. And this is what James calls friendship with the world. That's the underlying cause for fights and conflicts for every big and small example of hell on earth. And that's what it is. I I don't think that's any understatement at all. The author and writer George MacDonald at one point echoed that reality. He said this, the one principle of hell is, I am my own. The one principle of hell is, I am my own. This self-focus. And each and every day... You and I face the choice of heaven or hell. It's before us. It's in our homes and in our workplaces. It's in our street corners and schools. It waits in kitchens and bedrooms and boardrooms. Will I insist on my way? That I am my own? Will I give up my time to serve others? Or will I insist, no, 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 it's mine. Will we sacrifice our privilege? Or will we say... It's mine. I will use it for my benefit, for my pleasure. You want to please yourself, James says, you want but you can't have. That's the principle that leads to all our fights and conflicts. But where does that come from? James cuts a little deeper. And underneath that selfish desire is pride. Verse 8, verse 6, James says God opposes the proud. Pride is this self-absorption, this inward focus on yourself. You're always thinking about yourself. You're feeling sorry for yourself all the time. Pride makes you more attentive to all the faults of others than your own. Pride leads you to easily separate yourself from people that either you criticize or who criticize you. And so you're unable to listen to others. You're unable to listen to the community that you're a part of, to the tradition, the wisdom from the ages past that we're part of. And so then we begin to change the rules. We revise the stories and orient the entire world around me and my desires and my pleasure, my autonomy. But this is not wisdom. Back again in chapter 3, James says, Who's wise and understanding? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in humility that come from wisdom. Interesting. Humility, it's a form of wisdom. Wisdom, in, in the big biblical scope, it, it, it's the plan according to which God created the world. Wisdom is, is the grain of the universe, it's just the way things are. And all across the globe and throughout history, humans, humans have had an appetite for that. They've admired wisdom. They've looked for it. Except it seems ours. For some reason, our culture prefers, I don't know, foolish celebrities and loudmouth politicians and vacuous social media influencers rather than wisdom. And yet, and yet, we do have a sense of a leaning towards wisdom. It's interesting if you look at many of our literature, many of our movies. In those, there is often a character who embodies wisdom that we all look for. Think of Dumbledore in Harry Potter, or Gandalf, even even someone like Mary Poppins, Obi Wan Kenobi, Yoda, Mr Miyagi. All these are these wise guides that we look to to help us to guide our lives there's something in us that still longs for wisdom and we long for it because it's not in us is it james repeatedly says pray for wisdom ask god for wisdom because wisdom isn't something that's found in yourselves it's not something in us it's not something we do but wisdom is something god gives It's the wisdom that comes from heaven, James says. And the wisdom that comes from heaven is, first of all, pure and then peace-loving. It's considerate. It's submissive, full of mercy, full of good fruit, impartial, sincere. Now, in talking about this, you know, James is not riffing on moralism here. He's not saying, come on, people, would you just do better already? Live more wisely, would you? He's not offering, you know, fortune cookie nuggets of wisdom here. No, because wisdom is a who more than it is a what. The source of wisdom is found in the person of Jesus Christ. He is the wisdom of the world. He is the wisdom of God. Christ is the wisdom that makes the wise of the world look foolish. And so how do we gain that wisdom? James knows you can 't teach humility or live wisely by giving people you know a nice seven step process. It comes through relationship that 's how you get wisdom and so James says, "Submit yourselves to God, humble yourselves before God. James is saying, Do what Jesus did jesus who who so loved his father, regularly, constantly submitted himself, gave himself over to his father's will and purpose and humility and wisdom come from that same love relationship that jesus enjoyed with his father that we now enjoy through jesus it comes from that relationship with god which then overflows into a way of being in the world where we live in this world with hearts that are humble that are submissive to one another that's the wisdom that comes from a relationship with God. It's not smarts. It's not high IQ. It's not morality. It's not knowledge to win a trivial pursuit contest. If we want to know the wisdom of God, it's found in Jesus, the son of God, the son of man. And the only way to gain it is to submit ourselves to God. Now, I know that's, that's something. We hear that word and we almost recoil from it, right? Submit. Submit. I think we're almost allergic to the word. The whole cultural atmosphere we live in really grooms us to reject that. Like, no one is going to tell me what to do. But remember, that's the logic of hell. That's the rationale behind all our fights and conflicts, is putting that first, ourselves first. We need the wisdom from heaven. So submit Yourselves to God, humble yourselves before the Lord, and He will lift you up, says James. And really, that's the work of discipleship. Submitting ourselves, yielding ourselves to Jesus. And more to the point, it's yielding and submitting our desires to Jesus. What do you want? What do you desire? That's what James has been getting at here. And it's really a fundamental question of following Jesus, of discipleship. That's the question Jesus would pose to would be disciples. In, in Matthew, John 1, verse 38, as some disciples come to him, he, he would say, What do you want? Jesus doesn't encounter his disciples and ask, What do you know? or even, What do you believe? He asks, What do you want? What do you desire? And he asks this because he knows that our desires, our longings, they drive our actions. Our wants and our longings sit at the core of who we are. We are what we love. And our desires are going to be either focused inwardly, selfishly on ourselves, or they're going to be aligned with God and bring his flourishing in life. And so discipleship to Jesus is a matter of submitting all those desires of our heart to him, following Jesus and allowing him to to reshape our heart hopes so that we align our loves with God, so that we want what God wants, so that we desire what God desires. See, Jesus isn't content just to pour information into your heads and call it good because that won't transform your lives. Jesus wants to reshape your heart. What you love he's after nothing less than your loves and to follow jesus is to become a student to submit ourselves to that master so that he teaches us to desire and love properly and well which is jesus teaches to be a friend of god when our hearts are aligned with god when we want what god wants we're friends with god Jesus is teaching us how to be a friend to God. There's one person in the Bible that was called God's friend. James refers to that earlier in the book, Abraham. He mentions how Abraham was a friend of God. Pastor and writer Eugene Peterson writes about this. He says that being God's friend didn't mean that Abraham was heroically good or above average, virtue, or untainted by sin. He said Abraham wasn't inconspicuous in the human qualities we usually admire. He lied. He laughed at God's promises. He played coward. But what friendship means, Peterson continues, is that two persons are in touch with each other. And they share important interests and loves. And this is what friendship of God and Abraham is all about. Abraham was in touch with God who was in touch with him. He accepted God's concern for him as the reality of his life. And he returned it by making God the center of his life. He submitted himself the God's love, this warm embrace of God's love, and he organized his life around that love and he let that love shape him. That leaves me wanting to be God's friend, to want what God wants, to have my heart aligned with all the things that God's heart is passionate about. My prayer is, Jesus, would you teach us to be God's friend? Help us to put on these Christ clothes, those Christ clothes of compassion and kindness, gentleness and humility. Help us put on the wisdom from heaven that is the hope of this world. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Friends, right now we're going to take a moment of quiet reflection and there's going to be a question that's on the screen so we'll just take a few minutes of quiet as you reflect on that question where is God calling you to submit to him what desires do you need to allow Jesus to reshape in your heart today